Hey, all, we need your help. We're hoping to raise $10,000 over the next few months to help cover the costs of a few current and upcoming projects. These include, but are not limited to, a complete redesign of our logo and design work for merchandise with our soon-to-be-announced store. Your donations will also be tax-deductible as we've just turned in the paperwork towards becoming an official nonprofit. Any amount is immensely helpful and we'll personally email each donor a thank you. Absolutely everything we do on this show is to make sure the gospel is heard throughout the world and the barrier of entry into confessional reform theology is as low as possible. So go to our show notes and click the link that says donor box at the top of the page and donate. Now on with the show. And so both sides of that, his suffering for our sins as our surety and his, his being upright perfectly in thought, word, and deed on our behalf is credited to us is as our surety. So we talk about substitutionary mediation. You want to, you want to keep the word substitute there because mediation, sometimes you're thinking reconciliation which is a good thing as well, and also biblical doctrine, but substitutionary means he stands in our place, mm -hmm. both as the one who dies, as the cursed one on the cross, Galatians 3, um, and as the righteous one who's vindicated, and, there, and through him, we're vindicated and justified. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, a show devoted to bridging the gap to the historic Reformed Christian faith. Listen in as two friends, a layman Nick and a pastor Peter, discuss core doctrines of our confessional traditions with seminary and college professors, seasoned pastors, and more. These seasonal episodes exist to reach those outside the church, those in the pews, behind pulpits, and in the academy with rich truths of Reformed theology, and remind ourselves weekly how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast sponsored by Lagos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we're on a season six introduction to Reformed theology episode with Stephen Baugh today. And if you've been listening to season six, you know already that this guest is affiliated in some way, shape, or form to Westminster Seminary, California. So Peter will uh, formally introduce him and explain how he has been affiliated with that school, as all our guests from season six are associated to West Cal. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about justification, extremely important doctrine, and he's going to be helping us go through this today and understand it better. And so if you guys go to our show notes, there's a link to Westminster Seminary, California. If you're looking for a seminary school to go to yourself or refer to somebody else, or you just generally want to check it out, uh, there's that link and it'll take you right to that uh, school's website. It's in uh, north of San Diego in San Diego County. 
And uh, also there's just other information on our show notes about us in general, how to find us, how to email us, uh, how to, what resources we use. Uh, we've been using the creeds, confessions, and catechisms uh, crossway book edited by Chad Van Dixhorn a lot for prepping for these conversations as we walk through the, the confessions and catechisms tied to these doctrines. And um, so we're doing a very systematic approach here in season six, going through all these uh, doctrines that are uh, reformed and uh, somewhat ecumenical as well. And so also just information about how to, if you're not at a, a church in your hometown ish area, or where you live, or you need to refer a, a confessional reform church to someone you know, please check check out that link we have in our show notes. It's a local church finder. So um, you do click it, and there is a little bit of, um, it's not totally cut and dry. You're going to have to find a, a reform denomination you want to check out first, and then go through and find uh, the zip code that you're at. But they'll show all the reform denominations pretty much, and you can go through them and see if one's close to you. And then um, I don't think I'm missing anything else. So I'll let Peter further introduce our repeat guest today on our show, Stephen Baugh. Yeah, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, my former professor at Westminster. He taught me Greek and the Gospels and Revelation and Hebrews and a bunch of this stuff at Westminster Seminary, California. He's taught Greek at Westminster since 1983 <clears throat> and New Testament and Greek since 1991. He's a minister. In the OPC, he wrote like the main textbook I used at Westminster to learn Greek. He, he's written a few other books. One that we kind of had him on for in 2021 on the kingdom of God it was Majesty on High. Uh, I, I know he's working on another commentary, uh, and he's he's re uh, he's relocated from San Diego, where he's former professor at Westminster, now Professor Moretus, to Corvallis, Oregon. So all you Oregonites over there, you got a you got a first century. Um, human living amongst you. So it's my pleasure to introduce to our show again, Dr. Ba. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yep. Of course. Yeah. So first, uh, let our listeners know before we get anything um, beyond just your bio, just a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born and raised in Oregon. So it's a return to where I uh, grew up. But I came here to help with the church. Um, I'm married, have three grown children. Uh, one lives in Utah, works for a university there. Hmm. One is a, a missionary with Wycliffe Bible Translator. She's yep. overseas now. And then one is an associate pastor in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in yep. Olympia in my presbytery. So I have to go. be good to him or he'll vote <laughs> against me in all the <laughs> presbytery votes and That's say right, nasty yeah. things about me on the floor of presbytery. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I think I think I've met two of your three kids. I've met Isaac yeah. and I've met one of your daughters. Leah, probably. Yeah, Leah. That's right. Yeah, Leah. I couldn't. I was like, I, my, my head went to Kathy, but I think that's your wife's name. Yeah, that's um, my wife. Yeah, but Leah. But yeah, this is uh, I think Leah was my Greek TA. Yeah. Yeah, she did TA. And she so went that. to Westminster, California, too. She did. Yep. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. So Westminster's for both men and women. Uh, right. M did for men and, and the rest of them for both men and women as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, really helped her a lot. She she's using it on the mission field. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Paying off. Yeah. So and Nick has already um, previewed this and he's already talked about it. And if you've 
if listeners have gotten this far, you've probably recognized um, that we all of our guests in season six are West Cal faculty and or alumni. And we have one who is both. Dr. Ball is a alumni and he was a faculty member at Westminster. <clears throat> I think if I have this, you're the longest serving faculty member at Westminster so far. I don't I don't know. I don't think so. I think probably Godfrey. Oh, no, that's I was trying to wonder if it was you or Godfrey. I, I didn't. Yeah. I was flipping a Dennis coin. Johnson. Dennis Johnson was here. That's true. Yes, yeah. so you're you're amongst yeah. one of the most. Yeah. At Westminster. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well. So, three. So three questions. Um. Mm-hmm. If you want to answer these, um, in in order. So first, how did you discover Westminster? Second, what was your education like at Westminster? And then, for prospective students, having been a professor there for so long, um, why should a, a student look into Westminster for their education? Uh, okay. I the discovered first one, it. How'd you find Westminster? Yeah, I was, um, so this is all before the internet, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there were, Dennis Johnson actually came up to Eugene where I was going to school at the university of Oregon and, uh, had a, had a meal, a, a dinner, I think to, uh, for prospective students. Huh. And it, I was with the inter with the OPC in Eugene at the time. And one of the men there had been instrumental in getting Westminster to plant a second campus on the West Coast. So he was also very um, encouraging me to go down there. So, but I read the biography of uh, Gresham Mason and I was impressed by it. And I liked the idea, particularly of a smaller faculty. I was at a university, and I, you know, I got to know some of the professors. But I, I figured at a seminary, you really want to get to know the faculty, yeah, uh, as people, and yeah. not just be a, you know, <laughs> a face on a stage with three hundred people gathered yeah. around and listening in an auditorium. So. Yeah. And that was the case. Uh, so my experience of the seminary was just that. I got to know the men there and uh, really appreciated them, learned a lot from them, both personally as Christians, because I was still relatively young Christian. Um, and I, I really deeply appreciated that. I learned from all of them. Um, you know, the practical lessons of Christian life as well as the content. And they were first-class teachers. They uh, So... Some of them, you know, the different styles, uh, sure. but I'll never forget Bob, got, Bob uh, Strimple, the systematics professor. Uh, he would read his lectures. Uh, so he had learned that from John Murray, mm-hmm. uh, read the lecture. But he read it in such a lively way. It was really, <laughs> really I think he was one of my favorite professors, just so interesting and, mm-hmm. and such a lively uh, time in the classroom with him. Uh, others as well but that it was remarkable and since then i tried to do that and i'm, mm-hmm. I'm an utter failure reading from a manuscript <laughs> i don't know how he did it i do an outline so yeah, yeah i don't know i don't know how he did that yeah and so for for students or for um churches that are around that, that have potential prospective students who are looking okay where should i go where should i send this student to receive his or her seminar education uh, maybe like why should they come to Westminster? Three things. Confe- is a confessional school. You know, things change. 
professors change, but it's still confessional and the, and the content and the classes, you know, they may develop it, but you're still getting the same classes essentially with yeah. content. Uh, secondly, um, the gospel is what you learn. Mm-hmm. The center of Reformed theology is the gospel, and that's the conviction of the professors. Mm-hmm. But this is the gospel. This is this is preaching Christ and the church. So the professors are uh, almost all of them are ordained ministers yep. who preach um, and take the take church involvement seriously. And you know, I think there's an emphasis in the school on helping the church in the West in particular, but yeah. you know, P- our alums go all over the place. Yep. They go around the world. So mm-hmm. my daughter's in a foreign country and she's in a church with one of our alums. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah. She just joined it. Yeah, so you can it's, find them. It's, yep. it's way cool. Yeah. That's um, super cool. And then the third is particularly the biblical studies department and the other departments uh, support this. We have the same vi- I say we, I'm no longer there, but yeah. Uh, yeah. it was something that I harped on all the time that the biblical studies department were building specialists in the Bible. Yeah. That's why you have the Greek and Hebrew. It's not for its own sake. No. It's so that you can minister the scriptures and you're rooted in the Bible. And that's, that's what gives you a longevity as a Christian and as any sort of ministry you conduct. Um, yeah. And I'm finding that out now. I mean, I'm preaching twice a week twice uh twice on sunday um and i i'm glad i have that background (laughs) (laughs) absolutely it would be scary otherwise yeah no something that's it's it's emblazoned on my mind still is is both the greek and hebrew that i took the actual greek and hebrew courses learning it but then going to systematics going to biblical studies going to preaching classes and having the professor there in my mind, the the first one that comes to mind because I had him a lot was Van Drunen. He would bring his Greek and his Hebrew, and then just sight read, and he would like tell us to open up our Greek and Hebrew while we're going through systematics. And I think that's, I think to some people, like, well, why would you do that? Why would you just like just open up your systematics textbook? But Dr. Van Drunen, the whole faculty is like, no, we're going to get our doctrine from Scripture and from the original languages. Uh, and then our exams, you had to have, you couldn't take an English Bible with you. You had to have your Greek and Hebrew. Once you're done with your, your, uh, your language classes, but yeah, I mean, that's, you, you know, what coming into seminary and then you don't realize just how formative it is until after seminary is like, Oh, this makes a big difference when I start preparing for sermons. So I'm, I am leading a Bible study and we went through first Peter and there were a couple of places where I didn't see it in the translation, but once I read it in Greek, I thought, Oh, he's, he's, He's alluding to oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. an Old Testament passage. Yeah. And once you see that, it just opens up the passage. Yeah. He does that a lot. He just brings in these Old Testament yeah. things through that avenue. So. Yep. I still remember, this is free advice for everybody who's listening. I still remember one of your recommendations, Dr. Ba, which is sell every commentary that you have and then just buy <laughs> your Greek, your Hebrew, and a Septuagint. And I was like, oh, of course, if you need other stuff, bring it. But it's like, if you have those three, you can you can write a a pretty strong sermon. And your lexicons. Oh, yes. Okay, that's right. And I knew there was something I was missing. And your lexicons. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Totally. But what if you're a layperson and not a pastor? Is that learn Greek and Hebrew? I don't know what else you're gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just that's a tall order. <laughs> I would I would say use a variety of translations. Yeah. Okay. But also 
you you need your pastor to be able to answer questions. Yeah. So in a, you know, I think pastors need to make sure that their people in their congregation know that if they have questions on the Bible, they, they should come to them and, yeah. you know, Absolutely. they can, they can shoot an email or, you know, yeah. what's going on in this verse, for example, yeah. uh, because my translation is quite different. Yep. Uh, I get those and, questions all the time. on Yeah. Sundays. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what you're, you're the specialist in the Bible. You're the <laughs> expert you're, in the Bible. What you should be trained to do. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. And I, I know Nick has gone through this and I've gone through this where your pastor's like, well, I don't know, maybe like go read this or go talk to this person. Right. But it, it, if he's your pastor, he should know this stuff but, or at least yeah, know where way, you can find this stuff. Yeah. No, John never said that to me. It's not Johnny. I'm not talking about <laughs> yeah, John. I'm talking about yeah, somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, nowhere to get the yeah. answer. Yeah, so, exactly. We don't, totally. we don't have all the answers, but we may. Nope. <clears throat> We no. know where to get it, and we are devoted to providing answers and yeah, helping. Absolutely. People. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah, I know. I know that firsthand from my pastor, yep. graduate from West Cal. You guys just are very helpful to yeah. me. Uh, maybe it under this is a, sure. maybe a point for Nick too. Is I know, I know Nick has asked this, and and Doctor Ball, I'm sure you get this too. A lot of lay people will think like I'm asking too many questions to my pastors. I'm always talking to them. That's I mean, trust me, like keep on coming to your pastor with yeah. questions because the pastors yeah. love that. They do. Okay. Of course. That's yeah. what we're there for. I, yeah. I think, yeah, I think a lot of pastors or a lot of lay people wonder, like, am I am I asking too many questions? Am I taking up too much time? But that's the very purpose of a pastor is you're there for them. Yeah, yeah. that's right. We're the servants for the we're the servants of the servants of God. Yep. yep, absolutely. Well, uh, speaking of rooted in the Bible is something that you said earlier and talking about Westminster Seminary, California, we'll bridge into the Westminster larger catechism, which obviously came out way, way, way before the Westminster <laughs> Seminary, California, <laughs> two different things. Yeah. Even though you things. see WSE, Westminster shorter catechism, Westminster Seminary, California, they're <laughs> not the same thing, right. but yeah. Yeah. So the larger catechism uh, reflecting on scripture. Um, it does, we're talking about justification just as a reminder to the, to the audience at this point, they might've forgot what the topic was, but <laughs> we're doing with the Westminster larger category. Hey, we have fun in these shows, but we also talk about deep stuff. Yeah, it does. Um, in particular on justification, we look at question answer 70, 71, 72, and 73. So 70 to 73, uh, can you help elaborate what justification is? And that's actually question answer 70. What is justification? Um, and then how it is in relation to faith and grace. Well, that's a big uh, topic covered in these questions. I'm looking at it now. It's why I'm looking down. Um, so, Justification has two sides to it, and this is actually rooted in uh, Romans 4. Uh, and that is you have the forgiveness of sins, and you have accounting us as righteous in the sight of God. So we are credited as being righteous, mm -hmm. which, you know, Paul roots in Genesis 15 uh, regarding Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, so and then he, interestingly, he quotes a psalm where it says, you know, bless the man whom the Lord does not account his sins. Yep. So he sees that as the other side of justification. It's got two sides to it, forgiveness mm -hmm. and crediting as righteous. 
Um, and then the righteousness credit to us. And here's the key. It's really in Westminster Larger 71, which is one of my favorite hmm. passages in the Westminster Larger and really in the whole Westminster Standards. Yeah. And that is this business of why is our justification of free grace? And it, it has this long answer, but it is, if you've never seen it, I encourage your listeners to uh, read this because mm-hmm. it is really at the heart of the gospel. And the way I put it is a substitutionary mediation of Christ is perfectly expressed there with the term surety, which is a term found from uh, Hebrews 7.22. Mm-hmm. It's found in the Old Testament, but Hebrews 7.22 is where the Bible puts it. It's interesting. It becomes such a large part of the of Reformed theology. It's actually found quite often just from that one verse. But when it appears in that one verse, it's, it's critical. It's the surety of the new covenant. Uh, and suretyship means a mediator who takes upon himself the obligation. Uh, so Christ has taken upon himself the obligation to pay for our sins. And he took upon himself the obligation to meet the demands of the righteousness of the law. And so both sides of that, his suffering for our sins as our surety and his his being upright perfectly in thought, word, and deed on our behalf is credited to us is as our surety. So we talk about substitutionary mediation. You want to. You want to keep the word substitute there because mediation, sometimes you're thinking reconciliation, which is a good thing as well, and also biblical doctrine. But substitutionary means he stands in our place, mm-hmm. both as the one who dies, as the cursed one on the cross, Galatians 3, um, and as the righteous one who's vindicated, and there and through him we're vindicated and justified. Uh, so that's that's expressed here in 71 beautifully, and that is the heart of, the, of grace. Grace is, by definition, when you have a substitutionary mediator hmm. acting on your behalf, and that's that's a that's an old uh, covenant theology, Reformed theology discussion you'll find in the Confession and Catechisms, uh, but other authors outside will talk about that a lot. That the covenant works, no mediator. So Adam had no mediator. He was the mediator for himself. And the covenant of grace, you have mediator. You have Christ really uh, offered right away in the animal sacrifice of the uh, clothing of Adam and Eve. uh, And then the, the different administrations of the covenant of grace. But that's why it's grace. Grace is by definition the uh, the surety is the one who pays the obligation. Yeah. So that's, that's 71. And, and so when you, when we talk about grace, you can talk about favor in a general sense. And, uh, you know, sometimes people talk about God created us out of grace. I don't like using that term. Then I, I, I would say out of, you mm-hmm. know, out of his goodness, uh, you can mm-hmm. find other terms. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I prefer to you to reserve the term grace for this technical theological sense uh, because it's so useful. And, and by the way, it's what Paul's doing so often when he mm-hmm. talks about grace, that's what he means by it. So we're not making it up. We're getting it from the scripture. Yeah. So, 
so justification, you know, I talked about that. And then it talks about justifying faith. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about that later. Yeah. But, um, I'm, I'm going to zero in on something that you, you had just talked about too. And this, this is, this is going to kind of add to the conversation. Um, cause I think when people think of justification, this is how I thought about justification. It's how my wife has thought about justification, um, kind of grow up in evangelicalism over the past 30 years or so. It's like justification was just as if I'd never sinned. Right. But it was like nothing, like you didn't really hear anything else, but it's just like, okay, you're acquitted. It's just done. Like your sin is accounted for. But is there more to justification than just forgiveness of sins? Absolutely. I mean, it's Christ standing in our place in his righteousness. So his righteousness imputed to us. And and uh, if you want to see a, a graphic image of this, mm-hmm. uh, it's when Paul moves into things that are more practical, he's really building off of that. And it's when he says, when Christ died, you died. When he was raised, mm-hmm. you were raised. Mm-hmm. You have put off the old man. And you want to, when it says man there, you want to think of Adam. Yeah. You know, our Adamic self, which would include women. So mm-hmm. I, I don't want to feel excluded by that because, you know, we're both in Adam and you're putting off that and you're putting on Christ. And it's this graphic picture of Christ's righteousness is now put on me. It's a covering. Mm-hmm. Um, and God sees Christ when he sees us. He sees his son. So when, when Christ Jesus is baptized and the, the voice of God is heard, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what he says about us now. This is my beloved son whom I've adopted. Yeah. Now you have Ephesians 1 and adoption, you know, through God's predestination uh, into adoption of sons in love. Now we're adopted and being adopted, he treats us as his children who, with whom he is well pleased. Well, why is he well pleased with us? It's because our righteousness is Christ's righteousness. It's, it's him that he uh, has been pleased with and accepted his mediation in our place. So, you know, we're not neutral. I think that, I think Peter, what you said, the previous way of looking at it, it, our sins are forgiven and now we're kind of on our own or neutral or Mm -hmm. we're just, now we do the best we can. And it kind of, it tends to be preached that way too. It's like, well, now that Christ has covered you now, it's like, okay, now you go live and like you go do the best that you possibly can. Well, our, <laughs> our mutual friend, Scott Clark, would have something to say about that <laughs> yeah, with, with the so. medieval church, right? Yeah, yeah. He said, he, he would say, we have a thousand years of that, and it was an abject failure. Because yeah. people were not growing in sanctification in that system. Yeah. It, and, it, and I can tell you in my, you know, I haven't lived a thousand years. I know it looks like <laughs> it, but it, <laughs> it, it uh, in my life, relatively short to that it's a it's a failure to to think i can contribute anything to to please god i please god out of gratitude i i i want to please god i I, because i'm i have nothing to gain Mm -hmm. other than to show my thankfulness to him but i'm not earning anything i i have everything 
I have everything. I have the new creation as my inheritance. I have God as my father. I have a savior who loved me to the death. I have a spirit who dwells with me and never leaves me despite all my sinfulness still. I have everything in that I could ever need. Uh, so I kind of abandoned myself to the good works that I I have before me to walk in them and uh, please the father out of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. That bridge between grace and gratitude talking about fruits yeah. and yeah. stuff is something that so many Christians struggle with. They're, they it, keep it, w- def- it really keep- wasn't until Westminster that like, I, I heard about that. I'd never, I'd never heard that before, at least not in those specific terms, but like, yeah, like Nick was saying, it's, it's just not generally known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we our default. A lot of Christians' default keeps going back to like, no, I uh, I know I'm saved, but like I need but lists. I, I need things do, to do. Like like I help me to, like help me grow. I need I need more to do as a Christian. I need to keep my justification. Yeah, I need to keep <laughs> this thing like, up. It's not. No, you're missing the point. <laughs> but it's like it's like you said. It's like it's that yeah. is if I like I'm, our listeners heard like that is that is my mind's default is. When I sin, and it's not like just a kind of a random thing on a Monday, but it's like it's every stinking day when I sin, it's my mind will go back to okay, now I have to read my Bible more, and I have to pray more, and I have to do all this right. other stuff. Yeah. Where you feel like you have to keep on like, okay, yes, I know Christ died for me, but that just kind of fuels my own kind of works in this area. Yeah. And you know, this is not just New Testament. This is in the no. old testament throughout. Oh, yeah. You look at you look at some of the prophets and the Psalms, you know, when God says I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Do I, I don't need your sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you read your Bible and that makes you good. I don't, I don't need that. He said, yeah, that, that does nothing for me. Here's yeah, what I, I he, here's what I want. Give, give to the Lord a thankful heart. He says, yep. you know, give him thanks and, <laughs> and live your life in gratitude. Yeah. I preached, I preached Amos the end of oh. last year. Yeah. And when he gets into the temple sacrifices, oh, you're like, oh, man, the Lord does not <laughs> like sacrifices at all. <laughs> you're trying to earn because they're like they they think like, OK, the sacrifices yeah. themselves are right. what give me my right standing before God. And then the Lord's like, I could care less about your sacrifices. Right. Isn't that it is, yeah, right. it is. It, it is. I, I would I'd very much encourage, especially with, with what Dr. Baugh just talked about with justification, with works. Read Amos. I mean, obviously read all the Bible, but read Amos like five through nine and you get a real sense of the Lord and and how he views kind of human works to get to our own kind of right. justification. Right. And yeah. uh, if you guys have a chance to ask your pastor about that with Cain and Abel uh, or we could mm. that's a, not to change the subject, but uh, on justification, but the the. That that goes along the lines of like the Cain, Cain and Abel both made sacrifices, um, and so there was that you know how God looked at those sacrifices too, right? So one was in faith. Yeah, that's Hebrews eleven. Yeah, Hebrews. Yeah, he. That's that's the fun thing about the New Testament is it interprets the Old Testament for you. <laughs> there we yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. Um, so the preacher of Hebrews gives you the answer. As you probably know, we talk a lot about Westminster Seminary, California on here. I can't even begin to tell you the impact this institution has had on my faith, my family, and the ministry the Lord has entrusted me with. 
If you feel called to serve the church and want the most rigorous training for gospel ministry around, consider coming to Westminster Seminary, California, a confessionally reformed institution in sunny San Diego that offers master's degrees in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity. Westminster's approach to ministry education emphasizes a mastery of the original biblical languages, maintaining a small student-to-professor ratio, a laser focus on face-to-face education coupled with an understanding of the importance of having pastor-scholars with decades of ministry experience train the next generation of servant leaders for the Church of Jesus Christ. If this interests you, and I hope it does, call Westminster today at 888-480-8474 to talk to an admissions counselor or visit www.wscal.edu. Again, call Westminster Seminary California today at 888-480-8474 or log on to www.wscal.edu, which will all be available in our show notes. Westminster Seminary California, for Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. So I I think, you know, what we were talking about, uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, is kind of like a complete little capsule Mm. of you were dead in your transgressions, by nature children of wrath, but God, because He's rich in mercy, so it's, it's His wealth, he, uh, you were crucified with Christ. You were raised with Christ, seated in the high heavenlies in Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This doesn't originate from you. It's a gift from God. And then it ends with, you were created for good works that you may walk in them. Hmm. So it's, if you want to look at the envelope at the beginning, it starts with walking. You walked in your transgressions. Hmm and deadness to sin. And then it ends with that. You may start walking in mm-hmm. these good works you were created for in this new creation experience. So good works flow out of this working of God in us. Yeah. Um, and, and so in the, if you keep going in the Westminster on sanctification, it talks about it as a work of God hmm. through the spirit. So, mm-hmm. It's, it's basically following along with God and he leads us, you know, he opens the path for us and how we may serve him. Uh, and we don't invent it. No. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. If people want to hear more about that, the week after this, so we're recording this July 10th, but this comes out August 7th. Um, the next episode, August 14th, we talk about sanctification with Peter Lee. And he actually nice. goes exactly yeah. to that same verse and describes nice. this to our audience. Nice. Yeah, and some something earlier you you said putting on Christ's righteousness, and he puts it on for you. Um, it's it's like saying heaven has a dress code and it's righteousness. Right, that's right. I still and remember Doctor Estelle telling us that you have to merit, you have to earn heaven, and I like that. I think that blew all of our minds. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? I thought that was by faith. It was like, no, it's it's by works. You gotta you gotta you gotta work your way into it, and then then he went into the gospel presentation. We're like, yeah. oh, this is different than I than I anticipated. Well, you could say it has to be earned. Yeah, it has to be yeah, earned. But, yeah, but not by you. No, <laughs> exactly. you, you enter heaven by the covenant of works, but it's it's through Jesus completing the covenant of works. Right. 
Absolutely. And then him and Serena and the covenant of grace. And, you know, at this point, somebody wants, people want to slip faith in, but somehow faithfulness. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah. Somehow. Like faith America, kind of plays a part in it. Like, like it's your yeah. faith that saves you versus the work of right. Christ that saves you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the, it's, that's really a killer because it, it's, it's not, it's not what Paul's doing in faith. No, no. He, he, you know, with Paul, uh, you believe in the God who justifies the ungodly. Mm-hmm. So there's a sequence that he goes through in, um, I should give you the verse. I have a friend in my Bible study who always wants me to give the verses, you know, <laughs> so I have to be careful. <laughs> if I say Romans 5, he says, what verse, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just make it up. No, there you go. <laughs> just read the whole chapter <laughs> yeah read the whole chapter you'll find it. <laughs> yeah so we were helpless verse six so romans five six so we were helpless when christ died for us uh and he didn't he didn't die for the righteous one would why would anybody mm-hmm. die for the righteous there's no need to die for anything they don't need it yeah righteous right and much less somebody's good there's, so there's nothing attractive, you know, we're all good people and he died for us because we're worthy. Well, he says, no, he, he scarcely died for us in that way. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we're, we're, we are helpless sinners. And then you get this buildup. Uh, not only that, it's those who need salvation from his wrath. And then verse 10 is a clincher while we're enemies that Christ died for us, that we might be saved through his life from his wrath. So this faith is in the one who saves his enemies. Uh, And it's in Christ who died for us while we were in that state. Our faith doesn't contribute anything. It's our trusting in him that he has paid it all. Uh, And, and, you know, want to see this, um, you know, depicted in the Gospels, you look at Peter walking on the water. You know, as mm-hmm. long as he looked at his feet, he he started sinking. But he went mm-hmm. and looked at Christ; he he's fine. Yeah. So you look at your faith; it's never enough. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't his walking on water that was saving him? It was his right. His his uh, the object of his vision that saved him. That's right. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not faith in and of itself. It's what you have the, your faith in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yep, so totally. faith in Christ because you could have faith in in yourself, and that's not going to do squat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of faith in yourself, and it's not going to do a squat. <laughs> yeah, it's not so, the it's not the amount of faith you have. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the object of the object. faith that you have. Yeah, that's right. Um, so going back to scripture, uh, Psalm thirty two, Psalm one forty three. So that's uh, kind of from King David. And then we're talking about Romans 3, Romans 4 from the Apostle Paul is really well summed up in the Belgic Confession, Article 23. And it's titled, The Justification of Sinners. So it bears a theological question. How do we wrap our heads? And of course, we got can't forget our hearts around this that covers all of our sins. Justification covers all of our sins, the big ones, the little ones, the ones we didn't even realize we did the ones that we haven't committed yet. And the ones has, and it has nothing to do with our own works or our own good merit. Just being like, I'm a good person based on whose standards. Right. So how does 
King David in the Psalms and the Apostle Paul in Romans help us understand this from Belgic Confession 23. So if you want to stick to Romans, you'd want to go into chapter 3 in particular, the latter yeah. part of it. Mm-hmm. And that is that Christ is the one who um, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The word fall short there can also mean uh, be devoid of it. But we're justified uh uh, uh, as a gift by grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's the key right there, that term redemption. And then verse 25. So 325, Doug, in case you're <laughs> listening, <laughs> my friend, uh, whom God put forward as a propitiation through faith in him by his blood. So the, it's, easy, it's easier for me because I spend more time in it to show this from Hebrews. Sure. But it's the same as right there. It's the same teaching in the book of Hebrews, so 7 through 10, if you want to read those three chapters, mm-hmm. um, as what you get right there. And that is the, your, your sins are covered because the sacrifice of the Son was adequate to cover all of your sins. Because look at what Adam did. One little bite of an Mm. apple, that one little transgression was sufficient for condemnation. It doesn't matter. Jesus makes this clear. You may think, well, I haven't murdered anybody. Mm -hmm. You go read Matthew 5. Mm -hmm. If you have hate in your heart, and if you say, you know, you, you, you attack somebody verbally, thought, word, and deed, you are guilty before the judgment seat of Christ. Mm -hmm. So all of your sins have to be covered. And the adequacy of covering your sins is not in you or even the size of your sins. It's in the adequacy of Christ's sacrifice. It's the value of the person who died for you. Mm -hmm. He is infinitely valuable. He was of such importance to the Father And he is such a divinely valuable person in his incarnate existence, both God and man, that his sacrifice covers for all of the human race and every sin we may have, large and small. It doesn't matter. And then then in Hebrews, what you'd want to add is God has taken an oath that he accepts his son's sacrifice on your behalf. He's, He's sworn an oath to this effect saying to his son you know the lord has sworn him not change his mind you are a priest forever after the order of melchizedek mm-hmm. and what that means is that's psalm 110 4 quoted mm-hmm. several times in hebrews what that means is god swears to accept the son's sacrifice on behalf of all the sins of his people so you take that oath as the groundwork of your confidence before mm-hmm. god mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's that is and it, that's an insane thing to think about that it the is. Lord has the Lord has confirmed his um his judgments not his uh, his um condemnation against you but his, his judgment of righteousness on you not because of anything else other than if he goes against his very word then right. that is no longer true of you but he says I will right. never go against my word I'm oathing no. that I will never go against my word right yeah yeah, and then in Hebrews 6, he says, God did this for us. Yeah. He didn't do it because he had to remind himself. He did no. it for us. No. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. 
And then taking this next question into something a little bit more personal and practical for a person listening to this episode, we we can we can uh, reference Westminster Confession of Faith, Article Eleven of Justification, uh, when it talks about us receiving Jesus's righteousness as free grace in due time by the Holy Spirit. And that the faith we receive is the instrument of justification. So we see this doctrinal language on paper and it's kind of theoretical and you're like, oh, okay, but how do we know individually this applies to us and we have received justification? How do we know for sure that this doctrinal thing that, you know, seems kind of heady is something that actually God is applying to us. He's looking at me, he's seeing Christ. So this is an assurance question. Uh, looking for assurance, someone listening to this show right now, how do they know for sure they're saved? I I love that question. And I think that's so important, isn't it? In with real people. Yeah. Uh, I spent my career talking to fake people. Peter, <laughs> seminary professors, seminary people. Now I'm talking a lot to real people, and yeah, it's. <laughs> I'm kidding. We, we pay to do this. Yeah, this... yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an important question because, in the end of the day, the answer is so easy, but so hard to implement to actually mm-hmm. do. The answer is easy. The more you look at your faith the less confident you will become. (laughs) The more you look at Christ, the more confident you will become. You start Mm -hmm. looking at the beauty and the strength of your Savior. Uh, So I I would say you keep reading your Gospels. Mm -hmm. You just, so I'm preaching through Matthew now, uh, which is just a blast, frankly. (laughs) It's just just a blast. Mm -hmm. And his authority and strength and power and heroism is so massive. He's just, he's a giant, um, which you'd expect, but he's so personable, so kind, so approachable. People approach him. Think about that woman who just wants to touch the hem of his garment and and that she's terrified he's going to turn around and he's going to blast her for making him unclean and, you know. Which is what the Pharisees did. Yeah, yeah. For presuming she's probably to used to that in some way. She's like she's yeah. used to trying to approach religious leaders yeah. and just getting turned nice. away. I love that. Yeah, I I agree. I and and he doesn't. He he says he calls her daughter. Yeah. He says my my daughter. doesn't call her sinner. He calls her daughter. Right. That's mm. right. And that's that's our savior. So you trusted him. Your faith will grow the more you look at him. So that is the answer. Mm-hmm. Your confidence in him will grow. Uh, the more you look at him and the uh, assurance of his love for us and that he will accept us uh, into his presence. He, he, he tells us that. And, you know, one thing that you want to continue to um, grow in your appreciation, but we have, we have a, uh, and, institution in the world that Christ has set up for our edification and growth in grace. And it's called the church. Mm -hmm. And it's the church's ministry of word and sacrament, which when people start either taking it lightly 
or and attending periodically and you know as occasion may be or they want to tune in you know online but don't really go you're you're taking away his provision for us to grow in those very things that we need uh, and the means of grace are real uh, used by the spirit when you enter into a worship service of of a church a, you know a true church uh you are worship you're entering into the presence of god and christ says i will be there mm-hmm. in their midst through the spirit with fog and, machines and light shows and all that stuff right oh <laughs> <laughs> you need that stuff to get the, the yeah i guess so. yeah i haven't done that yet <laughs> <laughs> i i i i came out of that stuff yeah same I, here yep yeah yeah and yeah it it's kind of an artificial buzz isn't it yeah. but I tell you, I don't, yeah. Which I think can can play a little bit into the assurance stuff where you're so used to this like euphoric feeling and right. the more feelings you, I, I, I still, I mean, I, I think a lot of people doubt Dr. Clark and then you start realizing, oh, Dr. Clark actually sometimes knows what he's talking about. And one of them is the kind of the, like the druggy feeling of yeah. some of these worship mm-hmm. services. And people started thinking, okay, if I don't have this constant high every single day, Right. myself thinking this too, vividly thinking this mm-hmm. and don't have this just intense desire to read the Bible all the time and, and pray all the time. And of course we should want to, but yeah, I, yeah there's something to say that like, that like, that's, that's what we're, that's what we've been conditioned. We've been conditioned to think, okay, it's right. the, it's the feeling of holiness. This like whatever drug feeling, this, this, this nice drug feeling versus like what you're saying, just the right. faithful, ordinary attending of a right. church that preaches the gospel and ministers the sacraments. Right. And, and, or if you're Roman Catholic, you feel like you're only as good and you're only as saved as your last hail Mary. I don't, and I don't think it's that wow. different than evangelicals. I mean, we may call it a different word. We don't call it hail Mary, but we'll call it like our, like our, our hail Mary, my hail Mary was. And I mean, to be honest, still is, but this is my heart. That's it's uh it's Bible reading. It's my, am I, that I read the Bible this morning? And if I didn't, then oh man, I'm I gotta I gotta re up next week and I gotta I gotta make God happy with me again or like I sinned last week and I gotta make God happy. Um, where I think we can we can pin rightfully so a lot on Roman Catholics, but evangelicals we have the same stuff. Just I think we use different words than than what they do. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a slightly different question than the one I have on there because I'm gonna kind of play off a little bit on 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 Nick's and I think Nick, Nick Nick asked the question better than I could. And you answered my question effectively, but playing a little bit more towards two crowds that I can, I can, I can hear them talking right now and wondering, okay, so I, I see what you're saying, but that's like, okay. Adam had one sin. Like why, why on earth does that condemn him? Like I okay, I sinned against my friend the other day, or I, I lied against him. But like that, that can kind of blow over. Like why, why is why is justification such a big need if it's just like one thing or two things? And, and of course, like we're we're sitting like there's more than just one or two things. But they're thinking, okay, what is it about God that one infraction against Him will completely level the field and condemn all people? Um, that's. I'll, I'll ask that question first. Uh, it's a 
it's an offense to God's majesty and authority. So when you, when you analyze what Adam did, it wasn't a little sin. It was rejecting God as his God and choosing Satan as his God. Hmm. He was, he was acting as a proto-pagan and basically choosing to reject God as his God. And, uh, it was an offense to God with that implication. Uh, whose authority, whose word will govern him? And then notice notice in that garden temptation, you know, what Satan was offering. You will be like God. Hmm. So now Adam is basically choosing to be God himself. He's going to be the center of the universe. And then Satan will guide him into hmm. that self-deification. So it is, it's, it's more than just taking a bite out of a little apple. It was, yeah. it was all that. Um, and then we were born in that. This is, this is why that Ephesians two is so powerful. We are by nature part of that. We, we can't escape our nature. We're born into that. So you have, you start with that and you, you can't overcome that. All those in Adam will die. <clears throat> That's First Corinthians 15. Just mm-hmm. uh, as all in Adam die. Uh, so, and then Romans 5. So you, we can't, we can't escape our nature. Uh, it's interesting that he says that because, it, you know, gets you into Greek philosophy now. You know? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. Aristotle talks about, yeah, your chicken oh, is a big chicken time, by yeah. nature, you know? Yeah. yeah. So he has a whole book on nature. Cool. Yeah. It's called, they call it physics, but it's just yep. from the Greek word nature. Jesus. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And that, and so we can't escape that. So we, we really have to die. But that's why in Paul's language, he talks about us dying. We died. We died. So now you can go into Romans 6 to see that, you know, we've been crucified with Christ. And our baptism is the sign and seal of that. In your baptism, you've, you've been baptized into Christ's death. But you've been raised with him. So now you have newness of life that we can start walking. In. So that's my answer to that. Yeah. And then second part, and this is, I mean, hopefully, <laughs> I think biblically, it's an easier, I mean, not easier, but um, as, a, as a clear. Um, and Paul asked this question. So I'm going to ask the same question that Paul asks. What, how is it just if God is perfect and holy and cannot sin? where he can pay the penalty himself for what we've done. Like, why, why can't, why, like, essentially, like, why can't humans just kind of gird up their loins and do it themselves? Why does, why does, why, why can God do it? And is it just for God to do it? If he's kind of high and holy, like, why can he come in and, and take the place of sinners? Well, his justice is not um, partial or, um, accommodating he is justice itself he's the definition of justice Mm -hmm. so if you want to go into westminster again what is god shorter catechism god is a spirit infinite eternal and unchangeable in its being wisdom power holiness justice goodness and truth so he's three things infinite eternal unchangeable in seven things in his being wisdom power holiness justice Mm -hmm goodness and truth so he's infinite eternal and unchangeable in his justice so he's infinite in his justice 
justice, and he's unchangeable in his justice, and he's perfect in his justice. So he's the definition of what is a just act. So if I come in and say, but this is not just, I'm not using his standard of action. Hmm. And now I'm putting myself in the place of God again, which is not a safe place to be. (laughs) (laughs) See that recorded quite a few times in scripture. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Job found out, didn't he? Yeah. That is that is the message of Job. Job And I love I love God's answer. It is actually very patient, but he says, Okay. Where were you when I, when I <laughs> yeah. founded the earth? <laughs> you tell me if you want to def- start defining things. Tell me yeah, about yeah. creation. Where how were you? I do things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. From your from your point of view, Job. Yeah, let yeah. me let me tell me how to do my job. Yeah. So, and and in that in that definition of God, what is God? Infinite, eternal, and changeable. Being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, and goodness and truth. You don't find grace. Mm. Or mercy. Mm-hmm. Those are free. Mm. He didn't have to do that. Yep. That's not his nature. Yeah. His nature is love, but he does that of his love, but it's he chooses to. Yeah. He's chosen to deliver us yeah. of his free will. And that is emphasized in Ephesians 1. Mm-hmm. According to the good pleasure of his will. Good pleasure and will are synonyms. So Paul just piling up the synonym. Mm. It was of his own free choice. So yeah. he has this, he, he made this free choice to do this out of love and, mm. and his mercy and compassion. Because this is, this is just how he operates of freely. He, and he's chosen to do that. Mm. That's good. Quick little plug for our own podcast here. If you are an individual and you want to help donate for this work, you can go to our show notes, to our Patreon page, as well as our Spotify donations page. If you want to make a recurring donations, they're either $15 or $20 a month, or a single donation, you can also do that as well. Those really help us on the back end to give to this work, to keep up our website, to make sure we can pay those who help with our editing, with our software, with our merchandising, all, all those good things. If you're a potential sponsor and you want to sponsor us and, and fill out one of our ads, you can email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com and we can talk through some of the options that we have. And we would love to work with both individuals and publishers, institutions, seminaries, whoever it may be, as we all work towards our mission of bridging the gap to reform Christian theology. Yep. Help expand our work and be a bridge builder. The added question before my real last question. So would it be safe and correct to say, we we know he's eternal. G- Jesus Christ is the second person in the Trinity. He's He's been, um, he's eternal. Uh, so sin, any sin against him, even if it's one sin, is eternal treason. And that curses death. Like you're, you're eternally, you, you can't go in his presence, but justification is eternal salvation. Right. Because he is eternal. Right. Would that be? And the, and the son of God has satisfied God's justice. This is, this is something that Paul uh, teaches that people need to realize uh, really important to realize. And that is this, our justification is the last judgment. Mm-hmm. The cross was oh, the yeah. last judgment for Christ's people. Yeah. 
it's been done. Yep. It's over with. Yep. The the verdict has been entered and the verdict is cleared, mm-hmm. righteous, free from sin. Mm-hmm. You are no longer under condemnation. And that's what Paul says when he picks up the thread. And he gets that from Romans I mean 8. that's John that's John 12 40 yeah. something. I forget the exact reference. Yeah. But that's what Jesus yeah. says is he says yeah. I did not come to judge the world, but people will like will do all sorts of gymnastics with this. He's like him to save the world. And then the very next verse, he says, I will come to judge when I come again. And then you don't realize he's, he's saying I came to save because your judgment comes now and your judgment comes on me. doesn't come on you. Right. Those who come right. later on outside of Christ, that judgment's on you. That, that right. judgment's not on me. That's right. Uh, so, f- so for us, the last judgment's over with. Yeah. It's already come. Uh, it was, will... it was so cool reading because I've been preaching through John and I just finished through John 12. Oh, yeah. And I was reading that. I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh. I, like, Paul's not the only one. <laughs> this this well, is all throughout. I I have a sneaky suspicion. This is this is what New Testament scholars do. They have sneaky suspicions uh, <laughs> yeah. that uh, that uh, Paul knows John. He knows mm-hmm. his writings. Yeah. And which makes perfect sense. If it's he would hard in, not to see what Paul inquire. says and, and John say being like, oh, I, I know. I think, I think Paul gets it. I know. Oh yeah, and it's like he adapts it and yeah. you know changes mm-hmm. some of the terminology, but it's the same conception. It's it's and striking, it's really yeah. good. and it's really good stuff. It is, yeah, it is. In, well, I remember in both preaching it to the congregation, and and like like I wasn't I wasn't trying to blow them away. That was not the point, but it was I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, like John saying this. This is <laughs> I, like I should have known better, but I was no, like, this no. is this is gospel stuff. This is not just Pauline stuff. It's fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. And to so I have of... a I have a answer for a question that you gave me. Oh, in writing. Oh, and okay. and I wanted to give you the answer to it because I was excited to give this. Yeah, it's something I could finally answer. <laughs> Do it. Uh, so you had asked about you know the practical effect of justification. How does oh, yeah. that really impact our Christian life? Yeah. Hmm. Um, and I think the reason why I was excited about this is I think Paul addresses that exactly. Hmm. Uh, and that's at the beginning of Romans 5. So Romans 5, uh, be- beginning with verse 1. So let me go through that if I can. Yeah. Because it is so cool. Mm-hmm. So in Romans 5, 1 is, since then we've been justified from faith. So he says, okay, I've established that we're justified by faith. What then follows from that? How does that impact our Christian life? Here's how, here's his answer. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained this access by faith into this grace. And we stand in which we stand. And we, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but also we boast in the midst of tribulations, knowing that our tribulation produces endurance uh, and that endurance produces proven character and that proven character produces hope. And that hope will never disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. So look at all that we have as a result of justification. We have peace with God. We have a standing and access to him, uh, so when we pray, we have access because we have peace with God, and we have uh, He's 
he's made a new and living way that we can approach the throne of grace freely. Uh, and we stand in this and we boast in this. And we have hope. And then this wonderful, it's called a, in Greek, it's called a, a ladder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's in verses two through uh, five. And that the ladder is hope produces uh, this. It produces proven uh, endurance and this endurance proven character and that hope. So it starts with hope at the bottom of the ladder and ends up with hope at the top of the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> so hope from first to last, but we have hope. We have this hope that's secured and it can uh, stand fast even in the midst of the trials of life. Hmm. So that's good. I just think that's, that's a little place where he gives us some of the glorious outcomes of justification because it's justification can seem kind of abstract, but here's, yeah. here's where it, it really pays off for us in our Christian life. We just have this hope. We have this confidence. We have this standing with God. We have access to the throne of grace. It's, it's just a marvelous doctrine to build our lives on. Yeah. And That's also good. To, to tie that into something you were just talking about with uh, the judgments already happening on the cross and tying that to what you were just talking about with Westminster Confession of Faith, Article 11, talking about um, in due time, justification in due time by the Holy Spirit. So t- kind of tying that together, if I may, like trying to put a bow on, on what you're saying about the last judgment, because some people will say, oh, well, the last judgment already happened. How come Christ hasn't, hasn't come back? Well, it's because in due time, not all of Christ's inherited elected people have been justified yet. So he's waiting until that last person, that last mm-hmm. elect person that he knew eternity passed before creation is finally called and justified. All his sheep have come home. He's, And then, even if it takes 2,000 years to find that last sheep, he'll do that. And then, uh, then he's got all his people, and then he'll come back. Yep, That's right. So we look around the world, and we are dissatisfied with the world. Welcome to the first century, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> I look at all the you know, all the complaints about the modern, you know, world, and I'm thinking, yeah, well, welcome to the first century. I, yeah. This yeah. is we're, this we're is living, what you read all the time. <laughs> we're living in SM ball ed right now. This yeah, is, this is paganism. Come on. This is oh, yeah. this this what is, you get with paganism. This is old hat. Okay? Yeah, this is this, this is, is old hat. Thing. Come on, nothing, nothing to see here, nothing new. Yeah, but, it's as if that was written about in the Bible before. Nothing new under yeah. the sun. It's if the same Hello. thing happens that's, over and over again. That's right. That's right. right. But Nick's point is so important: yeah. is that we are dissatisfied with the world where we we it hates us and we don't feel at home here. But we shouldn't be uh, impatient because that's why the Lord's waiting. He's waiting for because he's unwilling for even the littlest last sheep to mm-hmm. come. Yep. He, his little ones will come to him and he won't let even one of them be lost. Mm. And that that my last question that ties perfectly to it is a very popular kind of uh, kickback of people that aren't reformed or don't under justif- don't understand justification. Um, so I'm kind of wrapping up. You can probably guess where I'm going to end is, is the Westminster Shorter Catechism question answer 33. It's starting, it's ending where we started. It's asking what is justification? So it's elaborating maybe on 
this answer different from the last time I asked it based on the, what the apostle Paul hammers on in the new Testament and how it's, this is us reformed people try to talk to fellow Christians that aren't reformed or don't under justification or try to keep telling them like, we can't lose our justification. They're just, they have a hard time understanding. It's like, they, they might ask us like, if it's a gift, cause we keep saying it's a free gift. Well, they're like, well, can't you throw a gift away? I've gotten that oh. question recently. <laughs> yeah. So I'll even internalize this. This is something, even though I like, this is my heart too. And I'm sure there's people around there who are like, sure, I know perfect. I can't lose it. I know I can't lose it. Like I, my brain knows I can't like, but right. my heart, yeah. like the way I live, like sometimes like, well, maybe I did. Our feelings will wane and be yeah. like, Oh, I don't feel like I have it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Can you lose it? No. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's, it, it's an act of God's free grace. It's not dependent on us. Originally, it doesn't originate from us and we can't refuse it once he works it in us but we believe it is us believing it's our act of faith mm -hmm. but even that's a gift mm -hmm. so if you have faith it is got to be if you have real faith it will it will uh produce the more you look at christ produce confidence and assurance and good works which flow from it and the holy spirit and then, seals it right and the Holy Spirit. So that's that is in the larger, the shorter doesn't get into the Holy Spirit's right testifying in our heart. And mm -hmm. that's really that's really good to remember. And I also like uh, First John. Is it four? I think uh, God is. If our heart condemns us, God mm -hmm. is greater. God is greater <laughs> than our heart. That's such a good verse. Yeah, it really is. It's like I don't. It's as if John I, knows your heart and says, "I know, I know. your heart's going to condemn you." I know, I, and I don't trust my heart. I don't. I don't trust my heart. It's a bad heart, bad heart, bad. <laughs> yeah. Just shut up, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because God is greater than you. Just be quiet, mm -hmm. you know? And then uh, our conscience is cleared not by our actions and our heart. It's our conscience is cleared by Christ's sacrifice and our growing confidence through the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. testifying to us. And then we, we walk in the, in the way of the Lord, in in quiet, confident uh, obedience to Him, um, because He is our God and He is our Shepherd and He leads us in the everlasting way. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sorry. I, if I could add one more no, thing, keep, this, yeah, keep please, going. Please do. Yeah. This is something you're going to do down the road, I'm sure, as you're going through these things. But mm -hmm. I have to confess that I, when David says, "Oh Lord, how I love Your law." Yeah, I was like, "How?" <laughs> I had the same reaction for yeah. years. I kept thinking, "Psalm 119 just doesn't make sense to me." I would really like to say that, but I can't really say that. No, I know. I have the and same exact response. I know, and now I think I can, because I finally understood. I love the law because it's not a threat to me. Yeah, it's that's true. it's it's no longer a a. The there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, mm -hmm. and it, it can't condemn me. It is it is powerless to condemn me because I've died to the law in mm -hmm. Christ. Yeah, and and then I'm being I've uh, woken up in new light, so that the law now is a glorious path yep. to show me the righteousness of God 
and the beauty of my savior and in his moral perfection. And I want to be more like him. Yeah. The, the dumb way, if this helps anybody, then awesome. If it doesn't, then just take it or leave it. But the, the I had a little metaphor that I used for um, the, the church that I preach at, which is the, the law previous to Christ um, and his sacrifice being sufficient for you was a, was a, was a dagger pointing towards your heart. And now it's an arrow pointing away from you that you, you yeah. cannot walk into. It's it's no longer it's no longer condemning. It is now a a a righteous guide for your your holy life. Right. That you right. you look at it and you're like I'm not. You can look at it. And say, I'm not scared of this anymore. Now I, right. I can yeah. I can look at this and say that that yeah. this 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 shows me a holy life. Yeah, that's right. A quick quick uh, just to uh, tighten the thread on on my question before J- Peter jumps in because I think it's really important. I'm just kind of channeling the audience too. Cause I, 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 un- we all three understand the human heart. We'll be real. So we got this. <laughs> we doctrine. understand our hearts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we, heart. yeah. we understand this doctrine and I know you already answered this, but we have short-term memory loss, <laughs> even as Christians. And so how someone listening to this is like, this is really great and everything, but how do I know? And I, I think I'm doing what you're telling me. And I think I believe what you are saying but how do I know I'm my mind's not playing a trick on me and I think I'm saved and then I die and I, and then I'm face to face with Christ. And he's like, I never knew you. And you're like, I thought I was saved this whole time. That's a giant fear. How can we know right now? I'm like, I know for sure I'm justified. I know I kind of, I asked that question earlier, but it's a good way to tighten what I was asking on the last question as well. Practically, I would say that that person needs to pray to the Lord for for assurance. Assurance, okay. And mm-hmm. and that the Spirit would give him or her assurance, uh, and that that is something that He guarantees He will do. Romans eight, uh, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit testifying to us that we are children of God, mm-hmm. um, and so we lose that assurance through sin, and you confess your sin. And he is faithful and just, notice that justice again, to forgive us our sins and to uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you just grow in your faith. And again, you you look to Jesus. You you don't look to yourself. You just keep looking to Jesus. But then you uh, take advantage of the means of grace and prayer to to grow in your confidence before him. Uh, and then you you practice 25 minutes of Bible study every day and make sure you do a rosary a couple yep. of times. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm joking. Yeah. I, I don't mean to make light of it, but it, see, it's not, I, what I, the reason I made that joke is yeah. it's not a formula. You no. grow, you grow organically in your faith in the way you do. And the Lord will very kindly lead you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's there's technically there's technically a three step formula to this. If you think about it, it's the three marks of the church: you yeah. listen to the word preached, you partake of the sacraments, and uh, whether it be discipline or uh, whether it be encouragement from the church, those are those are your three steps to that's right. um, assurance. That's they're right. not they're not perfect, but it is that's how you grow. Right. And there's no that's condemnation right. for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I'm ta- when I'm right. taking the yeah. Lord's Supper, I I say yeah. it in my head, and it gives me so much yeah well uh, the lord's yeah. supper as as nick knows and as i know and, and maybe you know too dr ball was was preached before is like this is 
this is where you go to like unload or like if you have any sins in your heart then don't take the uh, lord's supper and like go make those Ooh. right before you go to the lord's supper um but then learning <laughs> it's it's not a it's not, the, the the supper's not a it's not a law it's a is a it's a gospel yeah. invitation to come for yeah. sinners who yeah. have sins yeah that's right um so yeah landing landing the plane um and you've trained pastors that was your professional calling for for 30 plus years and, and you're a pastor you've preached um so what kind of difference we talked about this but i want to i want to more specifically call on um, talking to pastors and then talking to those who listen to their pastors. Uh, what kind of difference does a robust doctrine of the justification make to the preached word? And the reason I ask that is our assumption is a majority of our listeners probably don't get this. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a very broad, a very broad audience who listen to this show. So can you end this conversation with a, with a word for those in Christ, what they should be hearing maybe as, as, as uh, as you can kind of show out this doctrine, and also for those who are outside of Christ, what 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 justification requires? Yeah. Well, those outside of Christ need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other hope for them. Mm-hmm. They need to be. They need to read the law and find out who they are in themselves. So, we've been talking about Romans. You read Romans one, two, in the first part of three. There's none righteous, no, not one, and you are standing before a holy God who is angry with you all the day long, but that, but there is hope for you. You, you are given a, a privileged opportunity when you hear the gospel to respond in faith to Christ and you don't pay him anything for it. It's a free gift through Christ Jesus and he alone will call you to himself and may God grant that. For pastors, preach Christ and him crucified. Know nothing but him and him crucified. You preach mm-hmm. the gospel to people. Mm-hmm. So justification is the, you know, kind of this uh, core of this. Uh, there are other things as well. Uh, but this is, this is right at the core and why we preach Christ uh, and him crucified. It's because this is what he offers to people. And this will give them a growing confidence. Pastors want to see their people become more holy and obedient to the Lord. This is how you do it. You mm-hmm. preach Christ. You build you don't that. Preach, yeah, you don't preach lists. You don't preach. Okay, do this, do that. You right, just preach Christ. Right. Well, and then you can you can apply it. Yeah, you can exactly. show them. Yeah. You can show them. You know how the Word of God informs their yeah. walk and how they should act. But it's only in light of how they should act as obedient children who yep. are uh, accepted into God's family by grace through faith. Yeah. Um, and then for, for people in the church, you need to be in a church where the gospel is preached. It's not, you know, not, not in a church where the gospel is something for unbelievers and then you don't need it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not right. It, the, the Christ and him crucified is what you should be hearing. You should be hearing the Bible exposited um, by someone who's gripped by the gospel. And that, cause that's what makes a pastor preach Christ and mm-hmm. preach effectively and what the spirit uses to grow us in faith. That's, and, that's great. And we, yeah. That's what we try to do. Yeah. No, that's, that's, um, that's a, that's a beautiful way to end this episode. And for those who uh, they probably heard little inklings here and there, um, but you are, so you've retired from your 
professorship at Westminster, but you're still working. You're <laughs> you're still pastoring a church, and you're you're helping lead a, an exploratory Bible study. Can you talk about those two things? So I am the interim pastor at a Orthodox Presbyterian church in Corvallis, Oregon, uh, preaching twice on Sundays and helping some with uh, various aspects of ministry. There's another minister in the area helping, and then we have a a very uh, dedicated uh, session. So Mm. two elders and two deacons who are uh, really wonderful Christian men who are leading the church. but the preaching and other pastoral stuff I'm helping with uh, full time, uh, pretty much full time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Um, and then I'm uh, going to an hour away to Eugene, uh, Oregon. It's a, an hour one way drive on Thursday evenings to mm-hmm. uh, lead a Bible study. We're, we're, and we're studying Romans. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> we finished first Peter and I thought it'd be fun to do Romans. So we're, we're just getting going in Romans and we're mm-hmm. hoping to plant a reformed church in Eugene. Nice. Do you, what, so what time do you guys meet on Thursdays? Where do you guys meet a little bit more oh. about the, the Bible study? Oh, and I didn't mention, I'm coming back to the seminary to teach uh, general epistles and revelation in the fall. Oh <laughs> <laughs> so I've been working on class lectures. <laughs> I, can't, I, I don't, I don't envy your, your busyness. And I, I'm hoping to write a Hebrews commentary That's, someday. Oh, and I, I remember hearing that in <laughs> class and wondering when that was going to come out. That's well, it is. I haven't, don't have the contract yet, so I haven't started. I, I, uh, I did start it, but once I started preaching full time, it's gone along yeah. the wayside. <laughs> yeah. But hopefully, we'll we are searching for a, a pastor, full time pastor in Corvallis. And mm. When he comes, we'll I'll step aside. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Well, if there's anybody who's listening who either knows somebody who's ordained the OPC or is ordained a bull in the OPC, we'll uh, yeah. you'll see you'll see all the information in our show notes for for contacting Eugene Reforms. Uh, and it's Thursdays at six thirty. I think I have six thirty. Right? Yeah, Thursday six thirty in Eugene. Yeah. yeah, and then the you meet at a, a golf training center. No, it's a or like a uh, golf college. It's a, no, it's a common building in a uh, housing area. Okay, so it's like a commons building. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So one of the one of the uh, dear family. We have, and by the way, we have mm-hmm. wonderful families there. These are these are really wonderful people. Uh, we have. Uh, Approximately five families okay, right now, nice. That's a good including, base, yeah. including couples, you know, yep. um, and um, one of the members is uh, the developer of this place. So oh, gotcha. Okay. He, he knows, he knows the owners because he's one of the owners. <laughs> 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 he, he's very cautious not to intrude, but yeah. he's, he's been very kind to, uh, open it up for us gotcha that's awesome so yeah if yeah. anybody's in this area then go contact eugene reformed or go contact the other church in corvallis mm-hmm. or if yeah. you know somebody's in the area or know somebody's moving into the area um yeah we'll we'll have those in our show notes because we want to see um tr- more churches planted more reformed churches planted more more pastors more more people hearing about the gospel on a week-to-week basis right. um, thank you yeah of course well Dr. Ba, it's been a pleasure having you on again. Thank you so much for talking about justification and and uh, yeah, letting our listeners know the not just the potential hope they have in Christ, but the firm hope that they have in Christ because of what He's done for us. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a real privilege. A lot of fun. Thank awesome. You.
Hope you enjoyed today's episode in our season six introduction to Reformed Theology, where all of our guests come from Westminster Seminary, California, either current faculty or alumni who come from and graduated from Westminster and are serving institutions in churches and academies in the U.S. and all across the world, where we talk about Reformed Theology through the lens of our confessional tradition, Westminster, the Heidelberg, Belgic, and the Cans of Door. I myself I'm a graduate of Westminster. I'm heavily influenced, obviously, by the institution and love to share this information with those who don't know this tradition as well. Yeah, and myself as a layperson, theologically interested in in Reformed theology, this has been extremely helpful this season and then the previous seasons, the last few years in the book clubs, but particularly the, the focus of this season whether you're a layperson or not, uh, having all the guests come from Westminster Seminary, California has been helpful and you'll get an understanding of why that seminary has been so influential to obviously Peter, but myself, and most especially uh, my pastor at my church is a Westminster Seminary, California graduate. Yeah, so if you guys want to find us, one of the easiest ways of helping us out is to find us on Apple or Spotify, whatever podcast catcher, but especially those two, rate and review us. And if you can share us, share an episode, share a season with your friend, that's, that's usually how we how we uh, build our, our crowd. 